we are. Acts chapter 16 and verse 6. Once again, let us pray and ask the Lord to help us listen to his word. Our Father in heaven, most holy Yahweh, the Bible is your word. We read the Bible and whatever kind of text it is, whatever form the text it is, however, whoever you use to write it down, every word is yours. And we worship. And we thank you for it. Where would we be without the knowledge that we get from your word, the guidance we get from your word, the life that comes through faith in your word? Thank you, Lord. Help us to listen to its lessons today that your children might be edified, built up, strengthened. For your glory, we want to serve you. Build us today, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So, just want to read from verse 6 to verse 10. And that will be enough for today. Listen to this. Now, when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Every now and then, here in church, we sing a hymn called Send the Light. You familiar with that one? And, the, and the, you know, the refrain goes, Send the light, the blessed gospel light, let it shine from shore to shore. One of the verses in that song, in that hymn, says, says We have heard the Macedonian call today. Right? Uh, this... That is where, this is where that line comes from. What is the Macedonian call? Come help us. And what was the help that the man in this vision was looking for? Help us, help us find God, basically. Help us find the truth. Help us to be reconciled to God. Help us learn of this way of salvation. It was a plea to come and share with them the words of life. That's the Macedonian call. I'm going to ask you in the beginning of our message right now, and then I'm going to ask you again at the end of our message. I'm still tossing around in my head how to ask this. I have it, I have it narrowed down to two ways. One, I'll give you both. How's that? Ready? Have you heard, as it were, the Macedonian call on your own life? Or the other way I was going to ask it was like this. Do you think the Macedonian call has any relevance to your own life? Those are both pretty good questions to chew on, right? 
there are Macedonians, Gentiles of all stripes of society, and Jews all over the place in your life who need your help. And I'm not speaking of the help that comes in material forms, though that obviously has its place in service to the Lord. But I'm speaking of the help that comes in the form of sharing with them what they need to hear and what they need to know in order to have a chance, in order to have a shot at this blessing of eternal life that you and I are absolutely banking on and counting on. Have you heard the Macedonian call in your life? That's nothing mystical. It's not necessarily like Paul where you have a dream and someone standing there and saying, help us, come over and help us. Have you heard enough preaching of God's word in your life to recognize that we're called to represent him and preach him to all of the Macedonians, as it were, that are all around us in our lives? Or to put it the other way that I thought of it, do you think this matters to you? Are we, in reading the paragraph I just read, is it a history book? I should say, well, it is. Is it just a history book? Or are we to learn anything for ourselves from it? Well, I think it's obvious that the latter is the case, right? There's, there's three distinct lessons, I think, in this passage of Scripture for us. And we'll come back at the end to revisit this idea of the Macedonian call and the place that it has in your life. But first, the first thing I see that's very important is that before Paul got into the place where he received this vision that led to like the next phase of the evangelistic ministry of the gospel, he was passing through parts of country that he had passed through before. And you saw more than once that he was actually forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak. That is to say, Paul and Silas and Luke, which I'll come to later, they were led by the Holy Spirit. And I think that's something that you and I need to start off with. Our lives need to be led by the Holy Spirit. The second thing that's in all of this was what we've already broached already, and that is that people need the gospel, brothers and sisters. We live in America. We live in a place where the gospel's been preached a lot. Do you know what I have found? I have found, and even recently, in witnessing to people, I have found that even though we live in what may be the most evangelized country in the history of the world, there are people all over the place who have no clue as to the significance of the gospel. They've heard the name Jesus. They see churches all over the place. 
They have all sorts of different views about what all that means. But what you and I just enjoyed and were blessed by for the umpteenth time in our history together as a church, which is once again being reminded what Jesus did for us, we're surrounded by people who have no clue. And people need the gospel. And we're the ones who have to take it to them. If there's any compassion, if there's any real love, if there's any real understanding in our hearts, we are eager to say yes. Yes, we will. Take it to them. And then the third thing, and this is the thing that I think is significant. I'll flesh all these out briefly in a moment. But we are a team. We need to be led by the Spirit we need to recognize that people need the gospel. And then those two things established, we're a team that needs to be about the business of doing it together. I say that because if you notice in the passage, it starts off in verse 6 by saying, now when they had gone through Phrygia, here, let's do it like this. Ready? Follow along with me. Now when, what's the next word? Let's try this again. Ready? Here we go. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, what's next? They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After had, you're getting this now, had come to Mysia, keep going, they tried to go in Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and preached with him, saying, pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately... Try it again. This is a full-on participatory activity. It is expected that I hear your voice. Mask or no mask. Now, after he had seen the vision, immediately, most of you get it, we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called, there you go, to preach the gospel to them. You notice how it changed from they to we after the vision? So Luke, who is the author, is writing in this text about his companions that he's accompanying. And then suddenly, right after the Macedonian call is written about, he adds himself into it. I, 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 maybe I'm grasping at straws here, but I find that change to be significant. He includes himself. He's part of it. We don't read anywhere in the book of Acts that Luke preaches a sermon. We don't read about anything that he does other than we know he's a physician, he's a very faithful companion of Paul, and of course he wrote one of the four Gospels and then wrote this sequel called the Book of Acts that we're reading now. But Luke came to the point where he saw himself as part of the team. And that's what you and I must be. So listen... Put those three things together. I'll, I'll flesh them all out a little bit here in a moment. But just 
Get the big picture. You following all this? They were led by the Holy Spirit. Don't preach here. Don't preach here. Then they keep traveling across the land until there's no more land to travel on. And then suddenly Paul gets a vision. They were led by the Holy Spirit. Second, there's a recognition that people need this gospel. You're not just going to keep traveling around this same land here. You're going somewhere else. Because there's people that need it. And then number three, it's not just them. It's not just they. It's we and us. Put all that together. There's your mission. There's your call as church. I was talking to a few people over uh, the last few days. And uh, just kind of talking about the challenges related to COVID. And we all felt like we were just through that, right? And, and uh, I don't know what happens next. Because now they're talking about all kinds of different things and stuff. And I don't know yet how, what's going to happen or how we're going to react to it or respond to it or what. But one of the things that's been really, I feel like, challenged is the we and the us aspect of all of this and all this time. It's been so long since we had a dinner. I, I, was, I was talking a couple days ago to someone who has been in our church now for about a year and a half and has never experienced a church dinner. That's how long it's been, right? Never, never experienced one because we just don't do them. We haven't done vacation Bible school in two years. We haven't done a youth group retreat in two years. Not, not lamenting with sadness, but we're, we're a we. We're an us. And you're not all going to stand up here and preach like I do. You're not all going to go out on the street maybe and just, just have this gift to just witness to people like like maybe Brother Dan does. He's not here today, but he's really good with that. Or Brother Bob or, or, or some, of the other, some of the other guys and, and, and women who are in here. But we all have like a part. And our mission still is to be a we and to be an us. We've lost some of that. Some of our people, some of our families, we've developed a little of I. A little I. A little too much I. Not... I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not being, I'm doing this today. I'm not doing, no, I'm not, I'm not. I, 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 I. That evangelism stuff is for they. It's for them. They, them. They're going to do that. There's the, 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 look how they are going to reach out with the gospel. Look at their ministry. No, it's we. It's us. Led by the Spirit. People need the gospel, and it's we and us who have the ministry. Do you see that on the page of your Bible in front of you? Do you see that? Am I straining to find that? I don't think so. It's there. Let's flesh each one of these out a little bit. Led by the Spirit. That's number one. Here's what Jesus said about the Spirit. Ready? Listen to this. John chapter 14, verse 15. Just read some scripture for you today. Jesus said, and he was getting ready to go back to heaven. This is right on the heels of, I'm going to heaven. I'm going back to my father's house. Going to prepare a place for you. Going to come back to you. Then he says, 
shortly after that. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. So the helper is a he, not an it. A he. The spirit of truth, that's who he is. The Holy Spirit. Whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you. And will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus says, I'm leaving. And I will come back. But in the interim, I'm not just going to leave you alone. I'm going to pray to the Father. And the Father is going to send you a helper. Paraclete. The one who comes into us and remains alongside of us. Comforting us. Leading us. Guiding us. Teaching us. The comforting presence, I learned in seminary, was like the best way to understand that word. His presence, which brings us comfort. The helper. He is in us. He was in Paul, wasn't he? He was in these guys who were traveling. And What was their mission, you remember? Remember the previous passage? They had decided that they were going to go back through all of the places where they had gone on their first missionary trip. They had that unfortunate division over John Mark, but we fleshed out how that worked out for God's glory. God is always at work. You're bringing good out of bad, right? But the mission was we're going to go back through all the places that we had gone through before. So Paul uh, ends up with Silas, Luke, obviously, and they're going back through the areas and the cities and the places where there's churches on the mainland of what then would have been known as the Roman province of Asia and, and today we call Turkey, right? And so go, they're going through all these places and they even, it says in this passage, they even passed through Galatia, which ultimately is where the book of Galatians that we're studying on Thursday night had been written to, right? So uh, Barnabas had taken Mark and gone to Cyprus because that was part of the first missionary trip. Paul And Silas stayed on the mainland. And it says here in the scripture that they went through Phrygia. These are all regions, by the way. If you look at an ancient map, these are all regions of what is modern-day Turkey. All like sub-provinces of the Roman province of Asia. When they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, look at this. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Let me come back to that in a minute. In other words, the whole area. No. No. You're not going to continue the ministry here. That was the Holy Spirit's word to them. Why would the Holy Spirit stop them from preaching the gospel? Go on. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, which is another region, a more westerly region in Asia Minor. But the Spirit did not permit them. So they passed by Mysia, which is sort of a northwestern region in that part of the world, and they came to Troas. Troas was both the name of a region and a name of a coastal town, which is basically northwestern Turkey, right on the Aegean Sea. Right? So basically, the Holy Spirit said, nope, you're not going to talk there. Nope, you're not going to talk there. And you know what he was passing through? He was passing through western Turkey. Now, if you know your Bible, you know that later on, he does get to minister there, doesn't he? I mean, what's in that area? Ephesus? Colossae? Laodicea, all of the churches of the book of Revelation. You know that uh, chapter 2, chapter 3, where Jesus, right? Jesus himself gives those letters to those churches in those chapters of Revelation. Those are all in Western Turkey. That's where Paul was trying to go then. But the Holy Spirit said, nope, 
keep going. Nope, keep going. And he just kept going, kept going, kept until there was no more going to keep going. Until he came to the water. Well, okay, they just kept traveling and preaching to no one until they ran out of land. Now what? Well, listen, the Lord had it under control. Before I tell you what happened next, though, I had this thought, and I think this is a powerful thought that everyone can relate to. The Holy Spirit kept saying, no. No, not here. No, don't speak here. But at the time, sometimes in the sovereignty of God, we don't recognize every single thing that he's doing in the moment that he's doing it, do we? But we should still recognize that God is sovereign and has his purposes in anything, in anything. Because really, the no was not an absolute no. Paul didn't realize it at that moment, but really it was a not yet, wasn't it? Sometimes God says no, but in his own mind, in his own sovereignty, in his own plan, it's really not no, it's not yet. Because later, on Paul's missionary trips, he indeed was going to go right back through all those lands. And especially the time that he spent in Ephesus. Amen? I hope that like helps you and comforts you to realize that we pray and we pray and we pray and sometimes it seems like God is just saying no and he's saying no and he's saying no but don't give up on his sovereignty don't give up on the wisdom of his will that's why everything that we pray is your will be done not mine let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven because sometimes what looks to you like a no is actually a not yet you just don't realize it yet hello so stay faithful I mean, it must have been weird for Paul. What do you mean? Don't preach here. I thought, all this we've got, this is the whole point. I mean, it literally says, we look through there, it says in verse 7, when they had come to Mysia, they tried. They wanted to go. They tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit didn't permit them. So when they get to Troas, what happens? Then, 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 Then the understanding comes in God's time. Why didn't, God give, why didn't God give them the vision when they were back in Galatia? No, just kept forbid. Nope, don't go there. Nope, don't go there. Then, finally, when they, there's no more land to go on, then he gets this vision. And in this vision, he sees a Macedonian man. Guess where Macedonia is? It's right across the Aegean Sea. It's, a, it's, it's maybe a 75 to 100 mile trip across the Aegean Sea. And he gets the vision when he's in Troas, right on the Aegean Sea. So it's a northwesterly seacoast trip. And he sees in this vision this Macedonian man. So it was the Holy Spirit who had led him and guided him. And my point that I want you to see is that we need to be led and guided by his Spirit, right? A couple of verses for you. Galatians chapter 5 says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there's no law, right? Then what does he say? Listen to this. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit, right? Verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. The first of those live in the Spirit, 
is a statement of the spiritual reality. The whole book of Galatians, as you know from Thursday's study, is all about, you know, you've begun in the spirit, you can't perfect yourself in the flesh. You received the Holy Spirit when you believed, not when you got circumcised, not through keeping any laws. Right? So, the spiritual reality is that every Christian has the Holy Spirit. Every Christian lives in the Spirit. And then the, the point that Paul makes, if that's true, which it is, if we live in the Spirit, let us also, what? Walk. That's what Paul was doing in this passage in Acts chapter 16. He was living his life. If we live in the Spirit, which we do, let us also walk in the Spirit. That means to be guided by the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, to be taught by the Spirit. If you're going to be guided and led by the Spirit the way that Paul was, then what else do you need? You need to be filled with His Spirit. And you need to pray in the Spirit. You need to not grieve the Spirit. You need to not quench the Spirit. Every Christian receives the Holy Spirit the moment they believe. That is God's gift. That was Christ's promise that He would send the Holy Spirit to live in us. And He begins to teach us. And He begins to guide us. And then you are called, if you live in the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit. Ephesians 5, See that you walk properly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation or excess. But be filled with the Spirit. Right? So to be filled with the Spirit is a command. Right? You have His Spirit, but you're commanded to be filled. And you need to be filled so that as you walk, you can be guided. Don't preach here. Don't preach here. Go here. That's part of our call. To walk in the Spirit. Next chapter in Ephesians, Paul tells them, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. We are to, be, we are to pray in the Spirit. We live in the Spirit, we walk in the Spirit, we are to pray in the Spirit. The Christian life is not a carnal life. We do battle with our own flesh. Our own flesh gets in the way. Our own flesh we struggle with. There's temptations. There's like times where we're being like maybe called or pulled or lured by the flesh. But we pray. We trust the Lord. And then we pray and ask for Him to lead us by His Spirit. You need to walk closely with God. You should be meditating on His Word. Worship. Fellowship. Gathering. Serving. All of these should be high priorities in your life. Stop playing with this. How long have some of us been Christians and we're still trying to figure out like what place Christianity should have in our life? It should be your life. People need the gospel. That's the second point. That's what the vision revealed. Come over and help us. How many people have you ever led to the Lord because they said, please help me? Probably not many. I, in my experience as a Christian, I think I've only, if I can use that phrase, led somebody to the Lord, I, there's maybe some theological problems with that, but you know what I mean. I've only 
had it happen one time where a person actually reached out and said to me, I'd like to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Can you please show me how? That happened once in my over 30 or 35 years as a Christian. Once in my 19 years as a pastor. Most of it is going to witness to people. And as I'm witnessing to people, they'll talk back to me and explain everything they know about God. And it seems like they don't listen to a word that I say. That's what most of it's like. Most of it's like the seed that falls by the wayside, right? But then there are a lot of them where they do seem to listen. And they do seem to take it in. And I've had, I've had opportunities to do that in church. You know, I'm ta- well, later when I talk about being a team, you know, all those dinners that we have, all those assemblies that we have, all those opportunities where we gather people here and you invite your friends and they all come and they sit in. The- How many opportunities together have we had to share the gospel deal? And it seems like it's good and it sinks in. Look, you don't realize it. We don't realize it. But what that vision shows is that people are hungry for the gospel. And is it not true that God, people who are saved, God chose them in Him from before the foundation of the world? So while the call of the gospel is to preach the gospel to every creature, the practical effect of the call of the gospel is you you are speaking and the ones who respond are His elect, He's sovereign over it all. Do you understand? What does Peter say? 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter says this. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the Lord, by the prophets, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, scoffers will come in the last days. Walking according to their own lust and saying, where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, everything continues as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old. So they forget that God created the heavens and that the heavens were different when God first made them. And the earth standing out of water and in the water. The whole earth was different when God first made it. And so the scoffer just dismisses and says, the world goes on exactly as it. Oh, really? The world was very different before the flood. That's why people lived for hundreds of years. You read in the Bible. So they set all that aside. Verse 7, the passage says, But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by that same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise. God's not some slacker who's forgotten to come back and redeem us. Our life seems so long. I'm 55 years old. I've been saved for 35 almost years. I'm still waiting for the promise of His return. It's not even a blink of an eye to the Lord. In fact, a thousand years is like a day. God. He's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's not done redeeming people. Amen? God's not done redeeming people. Proof? He hasn't come back yet. Simple as that. 
The work is not done because he has not yet returned. Come over and help us, the Macedonian man in the vision says. Come and help us, the residents of Woodbridge say. I won't say it like that. They might not appreciate it if you tell them that that's what you think. The fact of the matter is, until somebody hears the gospel, they have no chance of believing and being saved. And if you and I don't tell them, then we're not doing what we're called to do. People need the Lord. People need the gospel. And then the last of these three things in Acts 16 that I said we would go over is that we're a team. We're a team. You might not feel like the Lord has raised you up to just go and stand on a street corner and talk to people. You know, you know there's, there's people in this room right now who are here because someone handed them a piece of literature. Right here, right now. They're sitting here. Because someone handed them a piece of literature and said, look this over. Looked at it. This is a really nice one. Rachel made these. These are, these are cards that have our name and our address and a lovely picture of our building on the front. And they have these really cool things on the back that I don't even know what they're called, but like if you scan them with your phone, it takes you right to the church's Facebook page and right to the church's YouTube page. And there's a link to the church's website. And you give these things out and people can look and they can hear and they can listen. But, 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 but we have piles and piles of these and, and nobody takes them and nobody uses them. We're a team. Okay, maybe you don't feel like God's like put you in the place where you're going to stand on a street corner and preach, but man, oh man, you can invite people to listen to things. You can invite people to come. We've missed out on so much in the last year and a half, but Lord willing, God willing, please, Lord, we're coming to the time where we're going to start having, like, like I really want to have a Labor Day picnic and see all of you come and invite people to come. Not because, you know what? I was going to go to the beach that day, but I think I'll go to the church. No, because you know that you're part of a team and you're called to reach people with the gospel. Somebody say amen, or am I just a fool that doesn't, or am I dreaming? Am I reading this, but there's no real connection between this and you? This is supposed to be us. Is there a TV show called This Is Us? This is us. This. We're a team. Luke saw it. They went here. God told them no. Then they went here. And God said no. Then Paul got a vision. And it was like, we need to go. And we detected, we understood that the Holy Spirit was telling us to go to them. And so that's what we're going to do. We sought to go to Macedonia. Immediately sought to go to Macedonia. Concluding that the Lord had called Not those people. The Lord had called us. Listen, I know we're just a little church. If we got everybody in the same place at the same time, I don't even think there'd be a hundred of us. But if you had a hundred Christians that saw themselves as an us, 
and saw themselves as a we. And understood that people need the gospel. And that the Lord hasn't returned yet. And so he's still reaching out to people with the gospel. And prayed. And meditated on his word. And worshipped. And were filled with his spirit. Can, can you just... Can you just use your imagination what the Lord might do? I don't want any earthly glory. You don't want any earthly glory. We don't want any earthly glory. I do want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I do want to have a crown that I can turn around and throw at his feet. So much of a pastor's life is begging people to come to church. So much of a pastor's life is just trying to persuade people that this is us. It should end at some point. And we grab it. And we say, yes. We say, yes. We say, yes, this is us. And we seek to be led by His Spirit. We recognize that people need the gospel. And we recognize that it's us, we, together as a team that are called to take it to them. Our Father in heaven, dear Lord, thank you so much that we could spend this little bit of time in your word today. Help us, Lord, to answer the question. Have we heard the Macedonian call? Help us, Lord, to answer the question. Does the Macedonian call mean anything to us? Lead us by your Spirit. Lead us to people who need the gospel. Let us love one another, fellowship with one another care for one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, and serve you in the gospel together as a body, as a family, as an us, as a we. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.